0: Welcome to the cannabis connection i'm christopher carr i hope you had a beautiful week santa cruz tonight we have a garden dweller cannabis breeder farmer explorer virginia tech biological systems engineer the wild man behind wild man genetics we have elijah welcome to the cannabis connection
1: thank you christopher pleased to be here
0: yeah, can you tell us where in the world are you this evening, this beautiful Friday
1: night? So right now, I'm located southern Oregon in the Rogue River Valley, right about Rogue River, the town itself.
0: Wow, very cool. Speak to that. How's Do you have gardens in, in southern Oregon? How is it up there compared to California?
1: So I actually have minimal experience in California, um, I love it here in Oregon. I got out here about three years ago from the East Coast, um, worked on a couple farms, and then through some mutual friends got hooked up with Stayfly, Fly. And uh, that's the farm I'm on now, and I've been here for about two years.
0: Very cool. Stay Fly is in southern Oregon. Yes, yes. Fantastic. And we love uh, Green Source Gardens. Have you guys connected with uh, Nick and Elizabeth? They're also in Southern Oregon.
1: Yes, definitely. I haven't met them in person yet, but uh, Stay Fly, I've heard tons of stories through them, and I've had the chance to grow some of their genetics both this year and last year as well. So big fan of Green Source, and they're some of the, the leaders and people we're looking up to in the industry.
0: Oh, give thanks. Righteous. Yeah. Yeah. Nicholas is definitely a homie. It's good to have you on. So can you speak to this plant and how did how did your your path kind of come to Southern Oregon from the East Coast? A little bit of your roots. Absolutely.
1: So ever since I was young and just growing up, I had a big connection to nature, plants, being outside and in the garden in general. Um, I went to school for engineering and soon found out that that career path wasn't quite exactly what I wanted or I didn't want to be stuck in a manufacturing setting. Um, Being a user of cannabis, I've always had some connection to the plant, something more magical, mysterious than the other plants, Um, and things kind of just fell in line. I wasn't looking for job opportunities that were desk-dwelling or stuck inside, So farming and gardening really pushed me to stay outside and stay with the plants. Um, And that's kind of where I am now. And I wouldn't really want to be any place else. Like I really like hands-on with the plants in the garden. The interactions between living things in general just really excites me.
0: Righteous. Well said. That's fantastic. Can you speak to your beans? I'd like to go into the seed conversation and explore, explore seeds and genetics can, for this year, well, you're going on two years. Um, right. So can you speak to some of the foundation or flagship genetics that have excited you in this process of working on stay fly and with and merging of those energies, anything that comes to mind? I would love to learn about.
1: Yeah, totally. So some of the first ones would just be the Garlicot and caught strains that Stayfly has been working on for a couple years. Um, both of those strains have a very strong apricot, sweet, fruity nose to them, more so the Garlicot, in my opinion. Um, and that was kind of one of the first strains that I had never smelled anything like it before um similarly the smoke is very enjoyable well rounded so those are two strains and i think that apricot terp comes from the legendary orange apricot male that keith had and was using to do some crosses initially on um so those are some strains that stand out to me specifically from stayfly um and then i'm personally working with a lot of their jiffy cake crosses i was given the opportunity to pheno hunt a couple seeds from them as well, and have selected some jiffy cake cross phenotypes that I plan on bringing into the next couple of seasons with me as well
0: what's with this okay that's awesome. I'm excited. Let's jump into the <laughs> roots of what's the cross on the garlic? you mentioned a legendary orange apricot male what is the garlic yes. and and then and for maybe the novice the same with for the well, novice right, listeners of
1: right. dozy cot as well what are the parents yes. I honestly can't quite remember the parent on the garlic hot. The dozy cot is a dozy zo's purple apricot. <laughs> That's cross. right. Got you. And the dozy zo's is dozy doe times skittles. I see. And There's I think, some skittles in there with the Z. Got it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I actually, I'm remembering now even more so that I think that legendary orange apricot male was initially crossed to Purple Punch to get the purple apricot. And then that was the male in the creation of Garlicot and Dozy Cup.
0: So I see Jiffy Cake is in rotation with some homies in our part of the woods, the Radio Ridge Wildflower yeah. Nursery. Yes. Can you speak to what is Jiffy Cake for the novice listener?
1: Or yeah, myself? So Jiffy cake, yeah, it's gonna be a wedding cake times peanut butter breath, I believe, or peanut yeah, peanut butter breath. And It is tends to be a little bit later finishing from the wedding cake side in the outdoor setting, but super, super, super frosty, chunky buds, heavy hitter, in my opinion. And I think that comes from a little bit of the wedding cake background. And I think the Fino or the cut that Radio Ridge has, they're one of the few people that are working with that cut. I know Keith didn't share it out generously like we do some of the others, so they have one of the original cuts of that jiffy cake. Whoa. And we will be making F3 this year of the jiffy cake.
0: Wow. How's that? So, and for those, yeah, watching wedding cake grow, and it's nice to see crosses, to use it as fodder and in, in crosses. I think that's fascinating. The curling of the leaves with the resin gland in the morning as they swell to finish is kind of a fun thing that stands out when i think of wedding cake and that peanut butter breath too with the potency amazing cool cross yeah and i could see the wow that's in that connection with wildflower radio ridge getting a special cut they have a tendency to get some breeder direct special cuts that's really
1: crucial work amazing yeah and that's what we spent this year heavily as well there's a lot of exciting things happening with the farm and the family so we did a bigger pheno hunt this year specifically on stay fly gear in order to really push and find some breeder cuts to go along with a lot of these seed packs
0: that wow what a cool project so can you give us the lowdown on some of your findings or some things that maybe to look forward to
1: absolutely so Coming back to the garlic hot, we've already harvested our top three winners across probably, I want to say, 25 or 30 phenos. We selected three, one being better than the other two, but those all three were pollinated for the next generation seeds and are already harvested. So super early finishers, super strong nose. So those are some seeds to definitely look out for. Um, same thing, the peanut butter pie breath bat cross speed batch is phenomenal. So we're actually making the back cross two BX two, back crossing it twice, and then also producing the back cross F two. Can you break down it's kinda
0: crucial. I think Nicholas Mahmoud was the one that was giving me the his own definition sometimes of F one, F two Just for maybe the novice listener in genetics, when you say these things, can you just break it down real simply of what you mean, you know, we're back, we're introducing, we're trying to stabilize and find the best, the art of selection maybe, defining that a little bit
1: for the listener. Yeah, so it really kind of starts with, I would describe it, an F1 generally encompasses the first generation of a cross, and then... From there on, F2, 3, 4 each signify the the subsequent generation of that same cross, meaning you take offspring from that cross, and then you're selecting and crossing males and females from that offspring batch to produce the following generation. By doing that, you're creating an inbred line. So the higher the F number or the generation number, you're kind of – breeding it to itself, so inbred means it has ultimately more of its own genetics, so homozygous in one way to describe it. So when you're looking for the hybrid vigor, you would take two inbred lines and make a cross between those for a very vigorous plant. Um, A back cross is where you take some of the offspring and then genetically are crossing it back to physically one of the same mothers or fathers and in order to do that you have to be running a clone operation as well in order to maintain those identical males and females yeah well said well said the
0: the pattern too is these heavier heavier what are you guys selecting for what what do you think in in your opinion or or from the perspective of stay fly farms the is there a flagship is there is there a certain profile uh, i think uh, for example bog bushy old grower keeper of the gum he was all about like the bubble gum in the beginning and okay yeah if if there's a is there is there something like that um, um profile wise or is it
1: just exploring a lot yeah so when it, i would say when it comes to flavors and terp terpenes. Nothing in particular. Like, we're always chasing the savory, gassier terps. Yes. But we don't tend to use those necessarily for our selections, I would say. Um, A lot of times we tend to breed in similar families, so cross fruits with fruits to maintain fruity, sweet terps, and then cross gases and savories to maintain those profiles. But some of the things we look for more so, I say, is structure, pest resistance. Um, finishing time. Um, Another thing even that's really, I think, starting to come forward in the market more so is the ability to be washed for hash in the rosin market Um, because some plants and phenotypes lend themselves to that more so than others. And I think that's one thing that's really now being used to make those selections as well. I love
0: this. It's not an old conversation. We always... It's amazing the the hash evolutions we go through every season mm-hmm. every year but I agree with you that is an interesting conversation piece it, and and I'm seeing a lot of attention being shared into that do do you think off the top of your head what if if you are looking to grow to wash and and make hash and get those resin heads collected what 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 varieties or families are are any in your opinion ideal or or any th- things that come that the market may recognize as far as cultivars?
1: Absolutely. Um, in terms of yields and what strains are higher yielding, I don't quite have the experience to cover that. I know specifically for Safe Safefly, we have a friend who who does work for Bo Beau, for Bo's Nose Nose Roth Company. So he was out here selecting and checking phenotypes as well, and he does a simple test where he'll be wearing a black latex glove, take one small bud, and gives it a roll across the glove, and you can see the number of trichome heads actually sticking to the glove, and that's kind of an indication on high washing ability. Um, We're not looking for smears or greases, really want the powdery, sandy heads. Um, and one strain that I saw that he picked out so far was a peanut butter apricot that tended to look like it would wash pretty well. Oh, nice. <laughs> I like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, wow. And this apricot, what that legendary orange yeah. meal, what's up with that? Is that just an heirloom? or?
1: Uh... Yeah, and it, it was here before, before I got here. But it, it, it does appear quite a bit in Stay stuff. And like I said before, it's one of, I would say, one of two flavor profiles that I've never smelled before or tasted before that kind of just has a really, really nice draw to it for me. Um, the other one would be garlic breast, which is really, really heavy on the GMO terps and the garlicky kind of heavy savor side as well
0: yeah savory is a cool flavor that's i mean obviously we talk about gas and fuels or kush but that that yeah i like that kind of like we're seeing the savory uh yeah uh, that's a great way of putting it i like i like that always. yeah
1: and for me those whatever i don't know just in my experience those profiles are harder to get and once you do obtain them they tend to disappear quicker in my opinion so more sensitive to temperature and light and all those things. Like um, a gassier, savory bud stored longer, in my opinion, tends to lose those flavors faster than a sweet bud stored. I see do you guys did you grow any
0: snow high genetics? Yes. Yeah. Any
1: some land race? Yes, I did. So well I'm actually growing right now his Angola red. That was Ooh. just a preservation from him. Um, it's definitely going to be a later finisher for me, but it's probably the biggest plant I have in the garden. Oh, and I uh, think, yeah, from, out of Africa, I think, was the original strain. Wow. And also, like, known for its red petioles and kind of a little bit red undertone to the leaf. Really? So it does express red pheno? Yeah. Yes, I would say so. Very slightly, and I think as it develops further into flower, we'll see it even more. But absolutely, you can kind of tell that the petioles tend to be redder than all the other plants. Ooh, nice. um, I have a ton of snow-high genetics, just only had the opportunity to get into that one this year. Yeah. Um, last year, from Cocoa genes, I grew a land race out of India. And same thing, monstrosity of a plant. Um, structure not the best in terms of the flower itself but a beautiful smoke and difficult trim but still i like working with those things as well because those are genetics that aren't being mixed into the batch we have here in the western united states as regularly as everything else
0: yeah and would you what are your thoughts on growing out more or introducing more land race into the palette?
1: Of the people. I think it's big. Now, they don't seem, just in my limited experience, they don't seem to uphold the same structure standards standard that the flower market out here already has established. But I think with the time and space, there are cultivars in those seed batches involving land races that are just as good as the stuff on today's market. just takes a little bit, maybe more time to find them
0: well said can you speak to structure and breeding for structure i found in some of these hype hype cultivars that are kind of dominating the market they even in from the bay area they they may uh the quality is excellent on the flower and sometimes the actual bud itself that tightness and density is very very nice, but the the actual structure of the plant sometimes is not the best. And I right. would love to learn about what what Stayfly Farms, in in your wild man, your your experience a little bit in in selecting for structure, or what maybe even yeah. defining you know what is an ideal structure. Because the other key thing is is when you grow a bigger plant, which you guys are doing some monsters out there. It's very cool. And Southern Oregon is an amazing area for it. Right, right.
1: Yeah, so I would say there's really kind of two areas of structure to focus on. One is the structure of the plant, then other being the structure of the bud. Um, And it really, when it comes to breeding, the really exciting and cool thing, I think, is that opportunities are endless, and it's really down to what your end goal is so for our end goal here at Stayfly is really to make it as easy as possible for the farmer to grow our genetics so we're selecting for plants that have active and prominent lower branching habits that just show that even without being topped it will produce its own number of tops Um, so just checking for lower branching is one key one you'll It's really clear to tell some plants start to send out their own lower branches. Other plants stay strong just in a single stalk. Um, But similarly, I've met people who are trying to breed for mechanized harvest, which kind of falls in line with the single stalk, kind of like a cornfield. So that person would probably choose the plants that don't have lower branching. So it kind of goes both ways. but for us the biggest structure key is lower branching, and as well as node spacing. We're trying to keep our nodes a little bit closer together, so that it's a little bit more structurally sound of a plant than being so airy and stretchy.
0: And you're breeding for. I imagine you have uh, mold and uh, resistance to pathogens. Uh, you're, that's kind of the yes. art of selection, as you find these super
1: superstar. We- Healthy uh, specimens. Yeah, and there's always some that you can tell stand out above the others. Like if you do have a couple bugs running around the garden, there's always a couple plants that never get touched by anything. So that's always okay. That plant is stronger, has maybe some sort of resistance built in that we should chase after. It gets really difficult when it comes to making the seeds themselves because when it's time to pollinate you don't know the full story of that flower yet so sometimes the act of pollinating is a shot in the dark but if you're taking clones as well you can always go back and pollinate the ones you do find post selection but initially you're kind of waiting you're making decisions without fully knowing what the flower actually will be yet or even how that plant will finish.
0: Yeah, and do you have an opinion on, I, I know our friend Nicholas Mahmood in Green Source, he, he likes multiple males. And so it's kind of this, this is his orgy of genetics. <laughs> but what you're yeah. speaking to, yeah, when you, but what you're speaking to sounds like specific males or, or specific or, or maybe females.
1: Yeah, I, some of both. If we have multiple males of the same strain, we'll definitely use them, especially if they all meet our criteria. Because I like that orgy of genetics as well, because it's still the same cross, just different superior genetics, but all mixed together add to the value. Yes, Um, yes, which you really don't know until you grow them out. Right. Yeah, that's right. And as we get closer and as people continue to breed and make seeds, we're getting closer and closer to those seed batches and packs to be very consistent. So it's like when those cases do happen, eventually we won't even be able to notice it, ideally, because the strains should be consistent enough where there isn't variability. But that takes generations and generations of crossing to get to that point. So we're not quite there yet, but I, I feel like it's definitely starting when we're in that process.
0: Very cool. Yeah, what a cool process, and it is such a uh, amazing lifestyle to just be in the round after round, generation after generation, working and stabilizing genetics and creating new new varieties and finding through pheno hunts some of those yeah. like unicorns. Was there any unicorns that stood out to you or anything of note from your pheno hunt
1: or the greater team at StayFly Farms. Wow. I mean, it's crazy just because there are so many plants that, to me, stand out. Like, just are just stellar plants. Um, a couple for sure, I would say, are the Ice coffees. Um, it's the ice cream cake times the coffee f Oh,
0: Kaya. Yeah. The Kaya's
1: coffee. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And those are just beautiful plants. Strong, strong, outdoor, chunky, gorgeous, frosty, light purple um, buds, and so that those that seed pack in that cross in general would be one I would, without a hesitation, recommend for any outdoor grower. Like it just is all around a standout for for ease of growing and quality.
0: Wow, well, well done. Yeah, the coffee is a special, just that, the multiple F, F5, I think, from Green Source was available, and I know some friends yeah. were working that. Yeah, so, so it, yeah, it's really done well outside, and, and then of course, you have some color to it, some cake resin, I imagine. Good. That's oh, absolutely. So, that's a nice one. Yeah, well said. Is there, so that's, yeah, iced coffee. I've seen some amazing photography of that too, and that sounds like a winner. Anything
1: else? Yeah, and this one's just kind of funny. There always tends to be one volunteer or a couple volunteers that we didn't take clones of because ultimately we don't really know the genetics. They just popped up. But there's always one volunteer that's also a stellar winner, just absolutely gorgeous. Um, and we had one last year, same thing. The buds were smaller, but for whatever reason, just beautiful, didn't look like anything else in the garden. Even that, the flower from that specific plant even held up over time. I find that it still looks just as fresh as it did coming out of the field, even though we're now going on – I don't know, a year almost, I guess. Actually, since it was harvested, so there's always one of those, and I always say, like, if you see a seedling popping up, go ahead and dig it up because it grew for a reason on its own. So I immediately think it's something special.
0: So, yeah, every seed's a prayer, and a volunteer yeah. is is a sure surefire blessing. By Absolutely. definition, <laughs> and the uh, will to survive. However, yeah. however that seedling came to be is definitely impressive. For for that coming through the winter and uh, coming out. Yeah. And do you know the profile or this volunteer
1: that of today? Who were the the ancestors? Really, no idea. It could be anything. These couple that were from this year, the seeds popped up outside of our dry room, which is where we transport all the bud, and even our seeded branches make their way up that direction to be dried in that building as well. So it could have been anything. Um, Definitely something from last year and from this property, but that's about as far as we can go. I mean, they're gorgeous-looking Nothing I can say in terms of no's that would draw me specifically to its parent. Um, But just, yeah, all around kind of crazy standouts. And the three of them, the three volunteers we had this year were very consistent amongst each other. So I do think they were part of the same batch or same pollination incident, just not sure who the parents were. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Fantastic. Wow. So fun. So with yeah. your with your breeding and you guys are also producing flour for the market, correct? For the commercial market?
1: Correct, correct.
0: How does one so do you isolate males or how how do you keep the two separate yeah. or your your advice for someone that's looking to make crosses but also have a head stash?
1: Yeah, so you really just need some sort of space that's not near your garden um, and or with some very big barriers so, so a lot of trees and shrubs and bushes do tend to help as barriers um, even running a sprinkler multiple times on a timer throughout a day helps as a barrier as well but for us we're keeping close enough eye on the nails that once they start to develop flowers we move them indoors really before any balls open and drop pollen. Um, So we just have a small area designated where we can sit all the males. They stay in five-gallon pot for the entire season. Um, And that's one other selection method we use. Um, If they get root-bound in drought and die, then they weren't meant to be. Um, We're selecting the strongest root-bound tolerance, uh, low-water tolerance as well. Um, But once they start to develop flowers, we immediately move them indoors and then can collect pollen inside. When we go to pollinate, the big thing is we always carry a spray bottle with us to kind of wet the the surrounding area, also knock any pollen out of the air that we may be releasing as we approach a bud to pollinate. Um, And then it's just using kind of double bags over the branch is kind of the best method to contain it all.
0: And the double bag is that that old school Robert Connell Clark double bag? Or speak to that. What specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Speak. So this, yeah. Break it down.
1: Yeah. So this is this is really uh, Keith's tech, in my opinion, but it's super effective. So when the male is in flower, he'll take a small brown paper bag and tap the flowers into that bra- brown paper bag. And then close it up. And over the course of the male dropping pollen, will accumulate a handful of bags from each plant. From there, we'll then put that bag inside of a plastic turkey bag because the pollen still seeps out of the cracks and seams of the paper bag. So we then approach a branch. The branch slides into the paper bag that is also inside the clear bag. And then holding it all together, cinched around the branch. You can shake it and wave it around, and it's all getting pollinated. And then you just kind of slide both bags back off and give it a mist down with the spray bottle.
0: Whoa, nice
1: tag. Well, yeah. I like that style. Yeah. So it's you get whole branches done all at once, maybe multiple branches at the same time. Um yeah, and the pollen stays healthy. You don't end up having to store it for any extended period of time. It's fresh, so it works very well.
0: And you're able to – so theoretically you can harvest a bunch of beans and buds off the same plant with the branch tech. Cor-
1: correct, correct. But nice. So you use the on the lower side um, and then leave easily 80% of the plant for flower. Yeah, very nice. Yep, yep.
0: Awesome. We've also
1: done a little bit of, we pushed our pollination a little bit heavy these past two seasons. We also set up temporary greenhouses, I guess you could call them, where we had female plants full-term planted in the ground. Um, every evening we would come cover, we had hoops set above all these little plots. We would co- come cover every hoop with a piece of clear plastic we would then bring a male in to the hoop release pollen keep it covered overnight in the morning i would come out also release pollen first thing in the morning a couple hours later we would then hose everything down uncover the hoop take the male back inside and let the full-term plants keep rocking and we would do that technique for about two weeks daily um, so we were also able to do kind of a whole plot, full pollination, full term as well.
0: Wow, that one's that's a cool one too. Wow, so you up the seed production?
1: Yeah. And that really allowed us, and allowed Keith and Stayfly the opportunity to start to really work heavily with some seed banks. Um, without that mass quantity of seed from some of these crosses it's really hard to satisfy the bigger seed banks because they also want numerous packs to post for sale.
0: What do you think ballpark is the seed bank looking for or, or worthwhile if someone is going to find something special and maybe adopt a seed increase? Also with preservation work, uh, we have had a legacy in Santa Cruz of, of preserving some very old special building block legends and home of the haze out here. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on specifically, you know, what is an, an important batch of seed or, or a viable offering to the, to the people?
1: Yeah, so I would say in order to work with a seed bank, you would need, in my opinion, at least 50 packs to be able to supply them for a given crop. Now, if you're filling packs with 10 to 12 seeds, that puts you at about 500 to 600 seeds in one of those crosses. Now, if you're also selling seeds individually, you really only need a handful. It could be 10 or 20 seeds that you then spread only between two or three farmers. Um, and as long as you keep enough yourself that, although like the preservation part of it, even if you don't have enough to share, it should afford you the opportunity to grow yourself one more generation, to then make enough to be able to share. So as long as you have seed of a cross, it may take at least two generations, but you should be able to slowly start to build it back up, even if you start with very, very small quantity.
0: Nice. Yeah. And is there... With your thoughts, too, on uh, and scaling up, obviously this is top of mind for State 5 Farms. Are these seed banks just local, or are we still looking at an international community? What are your thoughts? You know, I know there's people growing from seed all over the world.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think so. a lot of the seed banks are, are local banks. Um, I'm sure they have customer, customers from all over the world as well. Um, but I also know Stayfly, just through their direct website are also have customers from across the globe. So it's really kind of just the power of Instagram in a way to spread the message and connect people, um, across the world. So you may not need seed banks, but it allows you to just start to connect with people. Maybe you couldn't on your own. Um, and I know there's some situations like we, I know um, Pacific Northwest Roots in Washington. They were the only ones to get Stayfly's coffee crosses, I believe. Maybe one other speed bank as well. But you can also have deals and relationships in that manner as well, where you're exclusively offering some crosses through certain places where others can only be found in other places.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that.
1: And then spread the love.
0: Down. Yeah. Yeah. The coffee, yeah, that's so interesting. So, is there, so did you mention that Pacific Northwest has their own seed bank or they're distributing just the iced coffee?
1: Yeah, well, so they they, they took all of Flight's coffee crosses and, is able to help distribute them as well. So they aren't nice. necessarily their own seed bank, but they're constantly helping other farms distribute seeds. So they have a big connection. Got it. In in the industry. So they also I think work with a few banks directly that they're also able to pass the seeds
0: across to. Yeah, that's that's great. And it is that coffee is special. We've had Kaya on the show and very interesting work coming out of those those homies for sure.
1: Yeah, and that's like the community that yep. I've seen so far is so strong. That I mean, people do have each other's backs. Are willing to help, willing to share knowledge, experience, product plants, all of it. And I, like, I haven't seen many communities that are that strong as I would say the cannabis community is. <laughs>
0: well and that is something i did want to cover a little bit too is it's multifaceted you you definitely share other genetics and other heirloom varieties i see of corn of of produce mm-hmm. i think that's a a key piece is it, it can fractal out into this greater growing community but you're right yeah that's a a beautiful thing about the the seed producers, the keepers of the beans and, and making genetics, is, it does bring you into this this web of, of a very special cannabis
1: community. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And the seed is so powerful. I mean, it allows people to continue to grow. And I think everybody should be growing everything or should at least be trying because that's the best way to learn and get the experience about it is to just give it a try.
0: True. Yeah, it's been it's been a very Im- impressive process just being humbled by it too cuz you can sometimes have happy accidents. Has that ever happened on the farm just a meal oh. that slipped through?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been working actually so my very first seeds that I kind of started working with were all unknown seeds that I had gathered. So it's like no idea but a lot of those were the beginning of my experiences and same thing making crosses with no intention of really searching through them but growing them out just to see what happened and then they're actually being something really really cool it's like well I was not intending that but let's take it, let's go with it
0: sure, yeah that is, no and that's uh, we, we are huge advocates for growing from seed, and I do think the future of all the commercial farming should be from seed. So it's very just to be mindful of how how abundant and and they do have that taproot and they do seem to be healthier and and larger and more vigorous, and many positives. The one Kong maybe is there's males too, <laughs> but but long term, I think that is the. The hope is that everyone has that connection of germinating and popping beans and growing from seed and, and then creating their own beans and sh- sharing yeah. and that, that abundance of, of trading, too. Is there any other farms or other breeders in your neck of the woods that you
1: would uh, recommend maybe exploring? Yeah, absolutely. A couple that I would straight up say is the uh, Tory Genetics. Um, his Instagram is the big Leblunski. I think he's up in central Oregon McMinnville. Um, and I'm rocking his cherry slime aid F3 right now. And it has, I would say some of the prettiest structure across all the plants I have. I mean, wow. I would say it's the most tops responded to topping the best. Um, so I'm really stoked on it and plan on digging more into his genetics. Um two others here, Southern Oregon is Ziploc seeds. Um, tons and tons of selection available in his seeds. I mean, he has buckoos and pages and pages of crosses really that you could get into. Um so him and then one other would just be Golden Hill Grower, um, is a friend of Keith's but I've also grown a couple of his stuff this season. It was a Jaeger Sunset Bubba cross. Um gorgeous early finisher. And I just like keeping up with him as well. He's taking care of the land, working in the rec scene, um, and very educational. He's trying to also share as much knowledge as possible.
0: Right on. Yeah, I've heard of Ziploc seeds, but I'm stoked to check out Satori Genetics and and Golden Hill Grower. and, And especially that sharing of knowledge, I think that's the... What I miss, we haven't had... I I mean, farmers continue to farm, and I imagine you had a a wonderful 2020, but it was bizarre not having some of our gatherings and our annual get-togethers and just opportunities to meet new people. I would relish that opportunity to see that happen again, and now it's more on a homey one-to-one or smaller basis, but I do... I do see beauty in, in breeding cannabis genetics and, and these these relationships that can grow as a result too of the camaraderie of of taking on that
1: craft. Yeah. Yeah. Just being able to share the genetics and grow each other brings us only closer together because we want to share those experiences of the stuff that other people made. Yeah, so yeah. The- it
0: is no I, I i it gets me fired up too and sometimes i've seen this in 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 breeders we've had on the show but also in emerald cups gone by where i've seen beans we share, like traded and being worked on and and see them evolve i imagine with the coffee crosses between stay fly and, and pacific northwest it's kind of this almost special piece of you being you know of your intention and your love and that relationship to the plant being shared and other people picking up the it's like a massive mural in expression over time it's pretty amazing work
1: yeah that's a very good way to put it because it is so much of an art and if anybody is making seeds then they know how much work goes into it and if they aren't like, you should give it a try because there are so many different ways to do it. But like you said, the seeds you create are part of the art that you add to the community. So yes. it may be different, but it's unique. So that's, that's valuable.
0: It's very valuable. And, and it's funny. It gets humorous with the names and as they evolve and there's so many things. But I do love, too, the the different F. F5 of coffee from Green Source compared to maybe the coffee finos from Stayfly and, and, of course, Kaya's finos, and just to see different things and of the same kind of families, but just the art of selection truly can be a legacy c- contribution and an ongoing living project. It's cool. Right. Very cool. It's very cool. It's fun to kind of think deeply about it and it's just this glorious time of year sir so you guys you had some early finishers are you still up and at them still harvesting or what's the status of Croptober
1: on the farm yeah so we're really just getting going um i would say we just have scraped the surface we're maybe 10 percent 15 percent down um already so Not quite there yet, but I think probably within four days we'll be full swing um, and really just bringing everything down. So it's kind of the calm before the storm still. That's cool. We're hurrying up to wait just a little bit more, but it's happening here probably within a week. Well,
0: And every year, you could do this every year for generations, and you still – is this the time? Is it ready? <laughs> what are you looking for for a novice grower that may be tuning in and checking you out? Uh, what, when do you chop? What do you? What, what's the Stay Fly Farms philosophy around
1: now is the okay. time? Yeah, so with our seeds and the phenol hunt, our decision is always to push it a little bit further. Cool. Um, because, yeah. Because of. Because of them being seeds, we can... Oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So the beans get fully developed. Yeah, and just to see, like, if the plant, like, who knows, it may have gotten better the next day after we cut it if we didn't cut it. So we really kind of wait until it's not changing at all. So hairs have finished changing to, to orange or brown. Another big one is density. Even if the hairs haven't fully finished, if it's rock solid um, the bud doesn't give any give, that would be something that would lend us to taking it pretty soon. Um, and I personally always keep an eye on the weather because if I have a couple plants that I'm not sure, but I think could go, I would definitely, I, I personally take them before the rain. if I think they're pretty much ready, um, just to avoid them that a little bit of stress. But that's really it. It's kind of when it looks just right, which is not a really good answer, but
0: <laughs>
1: well, the density
0: rock hard. That is different. We yeah. we definitely get in with the scope,
1: looking okay. at the resin gland, right to go to like the cloudy and amber.
0: Correct. Yeah, that's certainly something that we yeah. really emphasize. But, of course, yeah, seeing the the color from the white to the rust or the orange on the on the, on the flower and and then, but I like that density check Certain certain that that's
1: interesting, yeah, that also, I, it depends, yeah, and for the density, just to come back to that, like that also will tell us if we should just do a manicure cut and take tops, or if we should go ahead and take the plant, um because a lot of times maybe. 10 inches down, the bud you feel is not rock solid when the the 10 inches above it are. So then we would go ahead and make our cut decision there and allow the remainder of the plant to go ahead and firm up a little bit for the next week or so.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, especially with these monsters you guys grow You're on. You always have, like, platforms, massive ladders.
1: It's huge, huge hedges. Yeah, and it's like we've just started with them as well. Luckily, we've got some tools to help us out, but it's still, those plants will be an adventure to harvest. That's <laughs> <the case.
0: laughs> Have you, yeah, well, and it and sounds like you do the tops first and you scale it down or chunks.
1: Yeah, ideally we'll be able to take most of our tops away here soon, and then that will allow us to take a layer of trellis off. And then from there, we should start to be able to access more of the plant. But it's really some of the trellis gets in the way of getting any deeper into the plant.
0: Can you speak to trellising? I've seen even seasoned farmers get 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 to a new level in their growing capacity where trellising is more necessary. However, some. Aren't, aren't huge fans of the actual, like, plastic trellising. I've seen twine. I've seen lots of bamboo. But something to think about is how how does Stayfly approach supporting? Because we've had some winds. We've had some precipitation. Trellising at this time of the year, when they're so heavy, is a really important art and science. I'm not sure it's discussed
1: a lot. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Right, right, yeah. So we definitely, we do use plastic trellis. The big thing is we always reuse. So that makes nice a little bit difficult because we never cut our trellis. We'll do the extra step to untangle branches and so that we can use our trellis season after season. Um, wow. But we kind of start, we'll use four-foot height cages initially and really kind of pull branches laterally to open up the footprint of each plant Um, and then from there we kind of run our trellis across the top of the row like a hedge and then all above the cages will just be layers of trellis and depending on the plant we'll make the decision if we need to put one on the side as well which typically the last piece right before flower we will throw some on the side because those branches bend down quite a bit But that's really it. It's kind of a box method, really focused on the horizontals across the tops of the plant because once a cola is in those squares, it doesn't give that much once it's, like I said, in one of those squares. So we really kind of just try to put one cola per square across the whole hedge of tops if we can.
0: Whoa, nice. And it works. You get like a a
1: massive lollipop, big canopy. Yeah, Sea of Green, it's all, it gets challenging to even distinguish between some of the plants, how grown together they all are into one massive row.
0: And when you implement the trellis, that's in the veg, so as it grows, you're you're developing your Sea of Green kind of canopy, they grow into it.
1: Yes, yep. And we will occasionally be pulling branches as well to just help the plant along, open up its space, and give it positions in the trellis placement as it grows as well. So some of the big full-term outdoor plants, we won't bend branches as much because they tend to open on their own. But inside a greenhouse setting, um, we'll use the trellis and actually weave some of the branches through it to really spread them laterally. Um, but we won't be as aggressive with our full-term, full-term plants.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you guys do the dance of navigating those branches out of the trellis. That's that's patience. Very good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: a process.
1: It's going to be an adventure. Those are big plants. Yeah, yeah. We've got some, like, extendo snippers to be able to reach deep into the row and make cuts. And then they actually can hold on to the branch as we pull it back out of the row. Which is Amazing. Beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but my, my arms are maybe, I was like, I'm short, I'm 5'6, so my, one of my arms is only like two and a half feet. And it's like those rows, I'm not even getting in a quarter of a plant reaching in with my
0: arms. <laughs> you need extensions. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, this if these are your problems, you guys gotta have no worries. It's a happy harvest. That's a blast. I'm yeah,
1: stoked.
0: I'm stoked for you guys. It'll be a fun challenge, and it and next next show we we will talk about how it went. <laughs>
1: yeah, I look forward. To
0: it. Right on, we're at our last minute, and we'll have a, it'll, it'll cut off right at 9, so I just want to give you the last word, but I want to say thank you and, and give my regards to the fam at, at Stay Fly Farms. It's an honor to learn about the farm, and, and you guys have a really beautiful, beautiful project, ongoing works, beautiful flowers, and, and really solid genetics, so I, I'm definitely personally going to try some
1: of these crosses. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Christopher, for having me on again. I hope we can speak again, Um, and everybody just stay fly. We share our love, and definitely get your hands on some of these beans if you can.
0: Give thanks, Elijah, and check out Ancestry at Moe's Alley tomorrow. This is the Cannabis Connection. I am your host, Christopher Carr. Stay up, Santa Cruz, and have a beautiful weekend.